It's good to see everyone. Glad you joined us here today. If you were to ask uh, people in general what the most powerful force on earth was in their opinion, you would get obviously a number of different answers. I think some people would say, well, it's probably the American military with all of its might. Others would point maybe to the global economy. Uh, many, I think, would point to the media and how the control of information shapes the way people think globally. But if you were to ask God this question, he would point to his church. Now, that's surprising, really to everyone, including those of us who are part of the church. I mean, we like the church. You're here. I assume you're at least curious about the church, and we see the value of church. But I don't think any of us drive up to this place and walk into this building with any real sense of awe and wonder, maybe like we would if we were getting ready to tour, say, Buckingham Palace in London. Yes, there are, of course, cathedrals in the world that rival that great palace in London for their beauty and grandeur, but most churches are not like them. Most churches, well, are less than 100 people gathered in either rented or kind of worn-down facilities. And what's true of every church, no matter how amazing the facilities look on the outside is that on the inside, they're just full of ordinary people like you and me who have decided to follow Jesus but are far from perfect. So what exactly then is so amazing about this kind of gathering? What's so amazing about the church? Well, the book of Revelation has a surprising number of things to say about the church. We are working our way through this book, the book of Revelation. These are God's famous last words to us, and they consist of 10 poetic paintings that summarize what has been previously said in the previous 65 books of the Bible. So it's no surprise as we start working our way through these 10 poetic paintings, it's no surprise that the first image we are shown is of Jesus Christ and all of his glory at the center of everything. We looked at this painting last week. But the second image, if we're honest, is a bit of a surprise. It's the church. Now, this part of the book of Revelation is very different from the rest of the book. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 that talk about the church are the only non-poetic parts of the book of Revelation. Why is that? Well, it's, we know the church. It's us. You don't need a poem to describe us. We're, we're not that amazing. I mean, poetic language, of course, really would be needed if you're going to try to describe the way Jesus really appears. And if you're going to try to describe heaven, you, you need poetry. We don't, we don't have just normal words that can do that anywhere close to justice. And if you're going to describe the great unseen battles that Revelation continues to describe, you're going to need poetry. But when it comes to us, eh, you don't really need poetry. So what we get instead in chapter 2 and 3 are seven letters dictated by Jesus to John. One letter for each of the seven churches that John presided over as pastor. Now, letters to the early church were very common. In fact, much of the New Testament are letters written to churches in different locations, first century churches. And even though these seven letters are not written in poetic form, they're written in letter form, pretty straightforward stuff, even though they don't use poetry in their content, the imagery that sets up these letters is full of poetry and imagery. The church looks pretty ordinary to us. But here's how it really appears. Here's what it looks like. Revelation 1, 12 through 3, setting up these letters. 
This is something we've looked at last week. We read this again. I turned around, John says, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. We talked about what that meant last week. Down in verse 16, we read on about this. It says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. So let me paint the scene for you. John hears this voice like rushing waters, and he turns around to see who is speaking to him. But before he sees Jesus, the one who is speaking in all of his splendor, what's the first thing that he sees according to this? Seven golden lampstands. That's the first thing that he lists in his vision. Now, what are these seven lampstands? Down in verse 20, we read this, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So only after John sees the seven lampstands does John then see Jesus. Why? Well, Jesus was among the lampstands. He wasn't standing out in front. He was in the middle. He was walking through the lampstands. So how is it, as you, as you imagine this in your mind, how is it that Jesus, whose face, we are told, is, is like the sun shining in all of its brilliance, how is that not the first thing John saw? Well, the point is very clear. You, just, you can't separate Jesus, as amazing as he is, from his church. He walks among his churches, not out in front of them, but among them. There are many times when it seems to us that the life of faith would be best pursued alone. I mean, John's day, it definitely would have been a safer pursuit. I mean, it was dangerous to gather together as a church in John's day. A private faith would have been much safer and far more convenient for first century Christians. And even though now, some 20 centuries later, we We can gather in safety in this part of the world. It's still, honestly, safer and more convenient to go it alone when it comes to faith. I mean, all alone, you don't have to worry about being betrayed by anybody or wronged by anybody. And it's certainly more convenient to go it alone. I mean, if it's just you and Jesus, you you don't have to alter your schedule at all. I mean, you can meet with Jesus whenever it's convenient for you. But if you're going to gather and follow Jesus in the context of his church, well, you're going to have to adjust your schedule so that you can meet when we all meet. And you're going to have to take the risk of getting to know people who, well, we're all far from perfect, and that, that can get messy. So in the second of the ten final images that God wants burned into our collective imaginations in this book, it is clear God wants us to understand this very clearly, that Christ cannot be seen apart from the gathered churches to whom he is Savior and Lord. We can't separate Christ from his church. Churches like these seven that are listed in the book of Revelation that meet at a particular time in a particular place. It is not possible to follow Christ apart from his church. So if you want to know where Christ is, well, he's among the lampstands. That's where he is. The question I want to address this morning is why? Why would the risen and glorious Christ focus his power and his presence 
now in seemingly insignificant gatherings like this one? Well, we are given two reasons in this amazing description of the churches. The first reason is this. Churches are listening posts. When we gather, we are gathering to listen to God. So John, the one who saw the vision of Revelation and wrote it all down, was kind of like a circuit-riding pastor of seven small churches that were located in seven cities along a Roman postal route in what is now modern Turkey. Now, each of these seven cities can be found on a map. Each of these seven cities has been excavated by archaeologists, and they found no grand church structures. And the reason is because these were first century churches, meeting in the dead of night often to avoid detection from the authorities. But what no archaeologist could ever uncover in any of these seven cities was the fact that these seven locations marked a place on the map where God spoke. Each of the seven letters said different things to each church but they all share some common sentences. We don't have time to go through every letter this morning. I encourage you to go back and read them. They're fascinating. But I want to focus on the themes that come up in every letter to all seven churches. And this is one of the sentences that is shared in every letter. Revelation 2, 7, 11, 17, 29, 3, 6, 13, 22, all the letters to the churches, we read this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this is not the first time these words are recorded in the Bible. Like most of Revelation, these are the last time that we hear these words. Jesus himself is the one who said, he who has an ear, let him hear. He said this seven times. You can find this phrase seven times in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And whenever Jesus would say this before he, got, he said something important, he wasn't talking about the fact that he lived at a time when, unlike now, we didn't have amplification and there was going to be a volume problem and people weren't going to be able to hear him. He wasn't talking about the physical barriers that would keep people from hearing him, like distance and noise. No, he, he was talking about the personal barriers that stand between all of us in our willingness and ability to hear what God says and do what God says. And so Jesus would often begin by saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. And then he would teach. Jesus knew that out of a crowd of thousands, there would only be a few who would actually act on what he said. And that's always been the way it is. I mean, it's still the way it is today. Few really listen to the words of God and put them into practice. I mean, not many will take time out of their busy schedule today and show up to listen to God's word. You have. You are a significant minority in this community. There's more people in Home Depot right now than there is here. You have decided to show up. Not many will. Not many will take the time today out of their busy schedule to show up and listen to God's word. But you have. And there are even fewer who will actually make a change in their life, who will alter something in their life to do what God says to them today. So if you end up being one of those people 
who take something of what God says to you today and you put it into practice. You, you do something out of this. You, you alter your life in some way because of what God has said to you. You are an extremely rare bird. You're rare. Why? Why don't more people listen to God's words and put them into practice? Well, it's because there are barriers between us and God's words. This is what Jesus was referring to. There's, there's listening problems when it comes to God's words. And really, any words. These barriers parallel the barriers between us and any words that are spoken to us. Let me just mention two of the biggest barriers. One is the agenda barrier. You know, agenda is a, a plan that we have to get something that we really want. And the way agendas work is we set our heart on something that we really want, and, and that becomes the agenda that we drive towards. And when we have an agenda, that affects our hearing. You know, if we want something, we tend to hear things in a way that supports what we want, supports our agenda. And we tend to not hear whatever challenges our agenda. And we are able to twist the words that are said to us in a way that allows us to find support for our agenda when that's not really what the person was saying at all. I mean, just try talking someone out of a bad dating relationship, and you know the power of agenda. I mean, there's no rational argument can be made because their heart's set. They are seeing and interpreting and listening to everything through the fact that they want this person. And everyone around them is saying, that is not a good person for you. But you can't, you can't talk sense to them. They, their hearing is affected by that agenda barrier. Then there is the distraction barrier. You know, when someone speaks, the world doesn't just suddenly go silent while they continue to talk so we can really focus on what they're saying. I mean, in order to hear anyone, especially the invisible God, we need to focus our attention if we're going to hear, let alone do what he says. But focus, of course, is not something our culture excels in. With the advantage of technology and the explosion of information, we find ourselves in a sea of distraction. And so God's words are often drowned out by something else that has our attention, or just at the point where we're beginning to listen and, and think about what we might do, it, we're distracted. Another thought, another opportunity comes and we don't listen to what's being said. We don't do what's being said. So what can be done to overcome the two barriers of our agenda and our distraction? Well, I want you to notice the words that are added to the words that Jesus said in the book of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear. This is something that Jesus would say, that phrase right there. But here's what's added in the book of Revelation in these letters to the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? The churches. Now, Jesus had made it very clear before his departure that the Holy Spirit was going to be the big prize after he left. For those who decided to follow Jesus, the presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit would take residence inside of their lives. And his main mission was going to be to counsel us, to be our counselor, to guide us and remind us of the words of God and help us apply them to our life. And what this is saying, seven times to seven churches, and in the, the Bible, when something is repeated seven times, that's the Bible's way of saying, do not miss this. So what this is saying seven times is that the primary way the Holy Spirit 
will cut through the hearing barriers is by speaking to the churches. Now, this doesn't mean he can't or he won't speak to us individually. He both can and does. He will still do that, and we still need to to sit down and read God's Word and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. But when we gather as a church, something unique occurs. The, The volume is turned up when we gather as a church. I had a good friend a few weeks ago that who's a part of this church, told me that he wasn't going to be able to be here for the next Sunday because of a, a work conflict. And he said, but it's okay, I'll, I'll be able to catch, catch up by watching the message online. And then he said, no, I know it's not the same as being there. The question I want to ask is, why not? Why isn't it the same? Maybe even better. I mean, we video this entire service. We record an audio of this service. You can go on our website and you can watch an entire service, anyone. You can download and listen to an entire service. So you can sing along if you want with the words and of the songs and not miss an entire word of the message. You can even rewind the message and listen to the parts that you zoned out on. I know you do, because I do. When I listen to someone, I'm, I'm oh, what? And I'm back, I'm, I'm here again. But I, I was gone for a couple minutes. Now I'm back. But if you've got an audio, you can, oh, wait, I got distracted. You, you can go back. So it seems like it would be an advantage. So apart from the donuts and coffee, what exactly would you miss out on by not being here on a given Sunday? What you miss out on is the gathering. Well, that doesn't look that special. But you see, the power of God's words spoken to us are amplified when we gather. And most of us miss this. So on a Sunday, it's not just about the information. It's not just about the words. It's also about the gathering to hear those words. I mean, if it was just about getting the words, getting the information out there, it would be honestly be better for us as a church to focus our efforts on getting a spot on Christian radio maybe or Christian TV or maybe doing whatever we can to boost our online presence or produce a number of really well-produced videos that, that might get a larger audience than what we get on a given Sunday morning. If, that was, if, if the goal was just to get the information out, that should be our focus. Now, those are all fine. Christian radio is fine. TV is fine. I'm grateful for well-produced videos that explain God's Word. But they can never match the fact that when the church gathers... In a particular location, in a particular time, the Spirit of God speaks to that gathering in a way that cannot be recorded and ever duplicated again. And what that means is if you were not here, you missed it. You missed that opportunity. I mean, yes, you can listen online, and that's helpful, but as my friend said, it's not the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that you should never miss a Sunday. I miss some Sundays. I go on vacation. I miss some Sundays. But what I am saying is that many people have not made this a top priority in their life because they don't understand this. And so they miss, maybe out of inconvenience or maybe other priorities or taking more of a front row. And they're thinking, you know, I'll listen online or it's just one Sunday. I can read the Bible for myself. 
But what has really occurred is that we have missed a one-time-only appointment when the Holy Spirit was uh, speaking, and, and we missed it. We weren't there. Sure, there's going to be another one next Sunday, but it's still a significant miss. And we, we think that if God really wants to get a hold of our attention, he's going to use a megaphone. Now, God can do it, but in my experience, God's megaphones are really painful. And I'd, I'd rather hear than feel first his words. What God does to us Sunday after Sunday in a gathering like this is he whispers to us. He doesn't yell. And only those who gather to lean their ear in will hear what he's saying. And so really, churches are kind of like those whisper dishes. I don't know if you've ever done this. Here's a picture of a whisper dish. I experienced this first at a, a science center. You know, you dishes are set up across a room, say, maybe even this size. One person on one side of the room talks into the dish, and they just whisper. And the other person, because the sound waves then can be gathered and sent and collected again and focused on that other dish, and if there's a little hole in the middle, and if you put your ear right there, you can hear someone on the other side of the room whispering through a crowd to you. It's amazing. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. So let me ask you, do you need a whisper dish in order to have a conversation with people? No. But if you want to hear whispers at a distance, you do need a dish. You need to position your ear also at a precise place. So this is what we're doing as a church. When we are gathering, we are, we're forming kind of a, a listening dish. We're putting our collective ears to the exact center of where God is whispering and we're listening to his spirit speak to us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. There's nothing like the listening post of the church to cut through the barrier of our agendas. If you decide to gather, you'll be listening not to your five favorite verses that make you feel better about your life. You'll be listening to whatever the next set of verses or topics that that church is talking about. But in the process, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you. And one of the common responses that I get and whoever speaks on Sunday gets is people will come up to us and say, you must have been following me around all week. Because what you said through God's word is exactly what I need to hear. So just for the record, we don't follow you around all week. <laughs> I don't have time, and plus that's creepy. We don't do that. But what you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit speaking to the churches. It was God speaking to you, not whoever was up here. And there's also nothing like the listening post of the church to cut through the barrier of all the distractions that we face. I mean, it, when you make this gathering a priority on your schedule, and then you actually get in your car and you travel here, and then you sit down to listen, you know what you've told yourself? You've told yourself, this is important. Sure, there's a lot going on in your life. Sure, there's a lot of projects you could be working on and a lot of other things you could be doing right now. But you know, all of that, what you're saying is, world, you can wait. 
Right now, I got to listen to the one who created me and who knows better than I or anyone what I need to know to move forward this week. All of that can wait. Right now, God is speaking, and there is nothing you need to hear more than what he has to say to you. There's nothing more important than that. That's what you say when you gather. Revelation 1, 3, one of the verses that we've read each of the Sundays as we've done this series so far, says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. You know what we often miss as we read through this? The phrase that this is to be read aloud to the churches. I mean, we think, read it aloud? Okay, I guess I could stand in my room and read it aloud. That would be kind of weird. No, that's not what it's talking about. You see, when we gather as a church, there's no picking and choosing your favorite verse that fits with whatever agenda you're driving in your life right now. There's no squeezing God and his word into the tiny cracks of your busy life. No, we are gathering together and listening together Sunday after Sunday. So churches are listening posts. The second image that we are given is the fact that churches are also lampstands. We've already read this, but Revelation 1.20, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. These seven churches that are being written to on this old Roman postal route that John was the pastor of, each church was represented visually by a lampstand. You know, the most dominant impression of the vision of Jesus in chapter 1 of Revelation is light. Verse 16, his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And so like everything in Revelation, this is not just the first time we've encountered this theme in the Bible. No, this is the last time we encounter it. Throughout the Bible, light is a metaphor for God's presence. I mean, God's first words in the Bible were what? Let there be light. And there was light. And when Jesus came to the earth, what did he say? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We don't do well in the dark. That's why we keep figuring out ways to illuminate the dark. We don't do well in the dark, whether it's physical darkness or especially personal darkness. In the dark, we lose perspective. In the dark, our imaginations run wild and we can become terrified by something that doesn't even exist. But we can't see that because we're in the dark. Our fear multiplies in the dark. In the dark, we're isolated and alone and we don't know which way to turn. We get lost. The deepest of all darkness is is to be isolated from God. And this is the darkness that Jesus came to address. This is why he called himself the light of the world. And he invites everyone to follow him out of the dark. And churches are the lampstands that carry this light in this world. What is the purpose of a lampstand? It's to elevate the light and position the light prominently in a particular location. This is why churches are spread throughout the world. They're not all concentrated. They're spread throughout the world. Now, just to be clear, we are not the light. We're the lampstand. Jesus is the light. 
our purpose is not to impress people with our facilities or our programs or our services, but to introduce people to the light, Jesus Christ. Now, each of the seven letters to these seven churches have different content to them. These are personal letters to these actual churches in these seven cities in the first century. And so there are different things that Jesus says to these seven churches. But they share, as I said, a, a common outline. And every letter begins with these two words, I know. And then Jesus goes on to talk about it. It begins with Jesus saying, I know, I know what's going on there. Jesus knows what's true of every church. He's not fooled by anything. He's not enamored by the facilities or the amazing music or the clever programs like we tend to be. We, we, we can easily become, this is amazing. And it may be, but Jesus sees far beyond that. He see, you know what Jesus sees? He sees us. Not as we project ourselves, but as who we really are. He knows us, the people. And therefore, he knows what's really true of this gathering. The outline of these letters point to, to three roles that Jesus is very concerned about that the church maintain. To be the lampstand of the light of Jesus, these three roles are critical. And these three are addressed in all seven letters. They address, first of all, we're going to look through these briefly. They address, first of all, the need to persevere in the middle of the dark. And then the need to, to be pure and not tainted by the darkness. And then the protection that the church provides in the middle of the darkness. This is addressed in all seven churches. The letters begin, every one of them, by comment, commending rather these churches for, first of all, their perseverance in the face of many different attacks. The first thing that's essential for a lampstand is what? It must stand. If not, it's just a lamp on the ground. It must stand. To be a lamp, stand. And therefore, as a church, we must stand for what is true when the world around us keeps changing its mind. And we must stand and not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, even though in the minds of many people, that's ancient poppycock. The next concern in the letters is the purity of the church. These letters next often begin with these six words. Here's the example to the first letter and the, the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2.4. Yet I hold this against you. This is said over and over and again, seven times to each of the churches. I commend you for persevering, yet you got a problem. And there's seven different problems. Yet I hold this against you. To the church in Ephesus, it was this. You have forsaken your first love. You remember how when you first decided to follow me, that you, this was a high priority for you? Just kind of like what happens when you're a newlywed. Now, you've kind of dialed things down. You've got to make me a priority again. He knew that was a theme that was a problem with this church. They had become distracted with all kinds of other things, and this was not a priority for them. They'd forsaken their first love. 
Now, for every church, there's a different, yet I hold this against you. But the concern in every case is purity. You know, this is the shade part of the lampstand. People see the light of Jesus reflected through our lives. Now, no one is perfect, and no church reflects Jesus without any distortion, without any smudge on the lampstand. But personal purity is something that we must all take seriously. If you're a part of this church and you've got a pattern of sin that no one knows about and you're not dealing with, you're a smudge on the lampstand of this church. I I don't know it. Many people don't know it. Maybe no one knows it. But Jesus says, I know. I know. You know, in the first letter to the church of Ephesus, we read these chilling words that is a warning to all churches. This is the very next verse in Revelation 2.5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That should send a chill down the back of everyone who is a part of any church. Not in fear, but in seriousness. We need to take this seriously. You know, the lampstand is the invisible authority that Jesus gives to a church, and it shows up in places like this and like those seven locations in the first century. Now, we are, as a church, we're incorporated under the laws of this state, but this state can't issue this authority. The state or any government can't hand out lampstand authority. That, That only comes from Jesus. Only Jesus can do that. And when Jesus pulls the plug on a church and removes its lampstand, it is over for that church. I mean, the buildings and the property can remain long after the lampstand has been removed. People can continue to linger long after the lampstand has been removed. But the power is gone. It's gone. The Spirit of God no longer speaks there. You know, many of the great cathedrals in Europe are ornate church buildings where lampstands used to be. But there's almost nobody there. There's no power there. There's no light there. Then the third concern in all the letters is protection. The seven letters all end with these words, to the one who is victorious. And then it says different things, but it all starts with those, those words, to the one who is victorious. You see, the church is not only the place where the light of Jesus shines in the dark, it's also the place where victory takes place. It's the place of protection where victory over darkness has its very best chance. Now, we tend to think of the church as a place to go visit. But from heaven's perspective, this is a fortress for you and your family against the forces of darkness that are determined to defeat you, to take out your kids, to make sure that you and yours are nothing like victorious. So in the flow of history, we don't look like much as we gather this morning. No news vans are going to pull up outside to report on the amazing going-ons inside here. But in this place, and many others like it around the world today, God is speaking in a way that will only occur then 
and there and nowhere else. So we are gathered to listen. If we could see what this really looks like from heaven's perspective, we would see the one whose face shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, walking. among this lampstand. And I would love to see the angel that is the star against the blackness that has been assigned to protect this church. So this hour is not just one of the things we do on a given week if it all works out with our very busy schedules. No, no, that this is the high point of this and every week. Let's pray. Jesus, we have gathered today in this place in your name, and we have listened. We pray now. Holy Spirit, that you would speak individually to us and tell each of us what precisely you want us to do. We pray for protection from the darkness, protection for our families, and we pray for our community. We are by no means a major force in this community. We're just a small gathering in a city of hundreds of thousands. But Jesus, you walk among us and you've assigned an angel to protect us. And so we ask that you would help us to stand and you would draw many people to the light of the world. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.